This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. Few performers cross over from one artistic medium to another and achieve great success in both. My guest today, Stephen Van Zandt, known as Little Stephen to some, is one such performer. Singer, songwriter, and producer, Van Zant first found fame as a member of the E Street Band with Bruce Springsteen. But this prolific musician also founded New Jersey's own Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, along with his solo project, Little Stephen and the Disciples of Soul. In a surprising second act, Van Zant starred as the inimitable Silvio Dante in The Sopranos for nine years with no prior acting experience. It was a role that certainly made its mark on me. There was a period of my life, of about three or four years, where I, I was divorced, I had my daughter, I needed stability in my life. Sunday night, I watched 60 Minutes, 9 o'clock I watched You, 10 o'clock I watched Big Love, and then I went to bed. <laughs> and any show you watch, it gets in your skin. And my friend and I, we would say this line all the time. You gotta pick your battles. You want your no-show jobs, Vito's gotta go. It's the right move, T. It's the right move, T. <laughs> we would walk around for five fucking years, and we'd be in a restaurant, my friends and I, go, uh, waiter, I'm gonna have the uh, chicken, but I don't want it with the onions. I want the onions on the side, you understand? I want the fingerling potatoes, and you can hold the spinach. I don't want the cream spinach. I just want the potatoes, onions on the side, and the chicken, all right? And my friend would look at me and go, it's the right move, T. We said the phrase, it's the right move, T, a thousand fucking times since I first heard you utter that on the show. I am your great fan. I am your great fan. <laughs> well, and I am yours. Well, the first thing I thought about when I thought about you when I was you know, reading the stuff, the research we did, was that idea, because I want to cover music and acting as well, and that is that for you, it's live music. You're in front of an audience, and you're getting all that feedback from a live audience. And you guys, I, I must say, got a pretty good feedback, got a pretty good response. <laughs> and then you're in a studio recording, and then you're filming a television show. And you bring the language, and you bring the uh, traditions, and you bring the habits of the musician, the famous musician, and you go onto the TV show 
the set. Was that a difficult transition for you? Yeah, at first, yeah, because um, you know, acting is is a lot of trust, and I and, and you know, if the director's happy, you got to be happy, and that was a new kind of trust for me. We're used to kind of directing ourselves in the music world, and um, I said to myself, "How does he know if that's as good as I can do it?" <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> and in the music world you know you go in the studio you sing a song and you come in the control room and you listen to it and you say well you know maybe I could maybe I could do it better let me go let me go in and try it again uh, acting you know you act and then you see it you know eight months later yeah. and it's like geez uh I probably could have done that a little bit better if I had known. Mm. So it, it just took a, it took a minute to just uh, to trust the, the process, you know, and to trust the new medium. And it's a whole different trip. You were born in Massachusetts, correct? Correct. And raised, and you moved to Jersey as a kid. Yeah, seven, seven years old. And uh, you grew up in uh, in New Jersey, and these two most notable. I mean, you've obviously had other successes as a solo artist and with other bands and uh, ensembles and so forth, the recording, but, you know, you're, you're identified as both on television and on vinyl and CD as a son of New Jersey. When you got hired by Chase to do the TV show, did that have anything to do with anything? Yes, uh, actually. First of all, everybody passed on the show because he insisted on filming in New Jersey. Uh, and every respectable network <laughs> said, you know, we don't film in New Jersey. Thank you very much. Yes. Good luck. Uh, luckily, he found he's this upstart, you know, new guy named HBO, who had like a football show and a couple of movies on at the time. Yeah. And they had the uh, the courage uh, to, to go for it. And he was looking for a, a, a Jersey-centric uh, kind of cast, you know. So I think that was a factor, actually. I always try to impress upon people. It's one thing if you have great success in TV. It's another thing if you change the fortunes of a network. You know, HBO was not HBO then that they were going to... They went in one end of that experience, came out the other end, and with Sex and the City and The Sopranos, it was completely transformed. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I give them full credit for having that courage because uh, as far as I know, that was the first time, I think, that a network gave complete freedom to the artist and just said, go do it. You know, we trust you, go do it. And uh, no notes. You know, my brother's been in uh, uh, writing for TV his whole life and uh, he wrote a book about it. And, and it's all, it's like you're getting notes all the time, you know, uh, yeah. fix this, do that, do this, do that. And you, of course, you did your terrific TV show and probably experienced some of that. But this was like, hey, go here it is, go do it. Here's a blank slate. And, and David Chase had the vision to pull it off, and Jimmy Gandolfini had the incredible talent to pull it off. And I credit, you know, Jeff Bukas and Chris Albrecht and then uh, those guys for having the courage to do it because it was a big yeah. expense at the time, Al. Remember, this was a huge investment for them. They were not really spending that kind of money, you know. I called Jimmy on the phone. I did Streetcar on Broadway with him in 1992. I did this very kind of weird, tepid little thriller with Demi Moore called The Juror with Jimmy in 1995. And Jimmy, the, the show premiered when? 99 or so. Okay, so the show, go, the show goes on, and Jimmy becomes certainly among the biggest TV stars of his time. And uh, I call him up and I go, Jimmy, I can't believe what's happening to you. He's the guy, you guys are getting nominated and everything is going great. Mm -hmm. And I go, Jimmy, I can't tell you how 
proud I am of you, how envious I am of you. This is amazing. And he literally says to me, it's a fucking pain in the ass. <laughs> like, I got to get in a van 4 o'clock in the morning. I got to drive out to New Jersey 4 o'clock in the fucking morning. I'm at the roll fucking days. It's a fucking pain in my ass. I'm like, but Jimmy, you just got nominated. Jimmy, you're making a deal. You're making, yeah, yeah, no, I understand. But it's a, it's a fucking huge pain in my fucking ass. And he did a lot of whining, I think. Oh, forget it. He, he, he quit the show every day. <laughs> we're we're going to get to that. Now, for you, for you, what was, I mean, music is obviously your uh, first iteration in American culture. And what was music like for you as a kid? Did you grow up in a musical household? No, not really. It was just the timing. Uh, happened to be that generation that uh, was uh, elevated February 9th, you know, 1964 by uh, this crazy variety show on Sunday nights. Uh, the the guy who owned Sunday nights before The Sopranos, this crazy guy named Ed Sullivan, who uh, you couldn't make him up if you tried. Uh, something like, I don't know what he was like, Richard III on LSD or something. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he'd have something for everybody in the family. The whole family would gather around the one TV and... Uh, He'd have opera for the old folks, and he'd have puppets for the kids, and he'd have something for the teenagers. And uh, February 9th, 1964, something for the teenagers was a group called the Beatles, and that changed my life. Uh, at least half changed my life. Uh, I, I always have to give credit uh, also to the Rolling Stones because uh, by the time we discovered the Beatles, they were halfway through the career. Uh, you know, they were going since 57, gone in 69, really. And uh, by 64, they were extremely sophisticated. I mean, they were mm. just superb. The, the harmony was perfect. The hair, the clothes, everything was just perfect. So they revealed this new world to us. Uh, but... Um, It didn't exactly, you know, you didn't exactly look at it and say, geez, even though this gives me hope because I'm a freak and I don't fit into society anywhere I can, I look. You felt does, that way. It does give me hope. Yeah. But um, you didn't exactly say, geez, I think I can do that. Uh, luckily, four months later, Rolling Stones come. They don't have any harmony at all, really. They don't, you know, the hair is messed up, except for Brian Jones. They have wearing whatever they feel like. Right, they right. made it look like, they made it look easier than it was. They were the first punk band, really. And uh, so the way I like to put it is the Beatles revealed a new world to us and the Rolling Stones invited us in. I love when Jagger does the induction of the Beatles into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when he says... He talks about some place they were performing back in the old days, maybe in Liverpool. And he says, and there they were in the audience, the four-headed monster, John Paul, George, and Ringo. They never went anywhere without the others. And they had these full-length leather dusters, these leather coats on. And he said, and I said to myself, if I've got to learn to write songs in order to be able to afford, I love that line, if I've got to learn to write songs, In order to be able to afford a coat like that, I'm going to learn to write music. <laughs> well, well, good for you. I'm glad the world benefited from that. But, but for you, the Beatles, and for, for, for all of us, I mean, I'm a Beatles addict. My wife had the greatest line that my wife said was to Paul, you know, you guys really are the original boy band. You guys are the first boy band when you think about it. <laughs> and McCartney says to my wife, he's so clever. He says to my wife, he says, well, really, that's somewhat true, but... We had to play our instruments while we were doing our wiggling. And they only had to sing and wiggle. So it was a bit harder for us. 
because we had to play the guitar and the drums while we were wiggling and we were howling laughing you know but but for you when you when you are playing music and you you pick up what instrument first a guitar yeah and yeah. you're how old well just before the beatles came my my grandfather was showing me uh, the italian uh, a little a song from his village in calabria um uh, i don't know if each town had a little theme song or what, but uh, he showed me this song from his village. So I started to play just a couple of months before they came, so I got a little bit of a head start. To play guitar? Yeah. And when, and when you're a kid and you're playing the guitar, are you dreaming of playing music in a band? Are you dreaming of having even a, 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 an ounce of the Beatles' success? Did you want to go into music when you were very young? No, no, no. It's strictly a Beatle thing. It was strictly. The, the, see, keep in mind, and I know people find this hard to believe, but the Beatles introduced the concept of bands to us. Uh, there were no bands. If you uh, went to your high school dance, it was an instrumental group. You know, there was there wasn't four or five guys singing and playing. You you didn't see it. It was soloists. Yeah, Bing Crosby, the, the, Elvis. All the pioneers, really, you know, yeah. except for the cricket, other than the crickets, you know. Right. They were all solo acts. Uh, and I, by the way, I missed that first decade of, of, of rock. I, I missed the pioneers. I had to go back and discover them. But, but, uh, it, it, but even if I had been there, I wasn't interested in solo artists. Uh, mm -hmm. They didn't mean anything to me. I didn't want to be in show business. I didn't like show business at the time. I, I like it now. But uh, I didn't then. <laughs> you know, you're building your identity and you are what you like, you know. And the concept of a band is what appealed to me. That made the difference, you know. Why? Well, it's not me, me, me. You know, you're communicating right. the friendship and family. And yeah, the gang. Community, the gang, the posse, all of that. That's what appealed to me. That lifestyle of doing something in common with your friends. You know, there was something that really appealed to me that way. And when do you put together a band the first time? Um, soon after I joined a band as a singer, um, when I'm 15 and then by the time I'm 16, I start my own band and I'm playing guitar and singing and uh, leading the band. That's the story. And performing anywhere? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, we were just the luckiest generation, man. I mean, uh, there were places to play all over the place, all over the place. No, you, 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 at that you, age. You could, oh, that was the best time. This was the best time, man. We our, our demographic was the first one to really be catered to. So we not only had the high school dances and the, and the beach clubs right there, we had teenage nightclubs built for us, which I haven't seen before or since. We played all the time. We were working all the time. I see that moment you're on stage and you finish some blistering song. You're singing some really, really great rock song and you guys are done with the set and you come off the stage and the guy's like, you're ginger ale, sir. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you know, this is the thing. It was so new that Alec, we, we would never have that kind of freedom again. You know, because it's... It's sort of three stages of the rock and roll lifestyle, right? You know, there's the teenage one, which, you know, then there's the bar band uh, world, and, and then there's the professional stuff, you know, you get right. into the business. Well, at that age, the teenage world, uh, at that time, there was no adult that's going to even pretend to tell you what to do because they didn't get it at all. Right. They had no idea. There was what no template. Yeah. No, no, there was no even opinion. 
You know what I mean? Right. Like, it wasn't like, oh, you got you guys got to do this, which is which is what you got when you got to the, the bar band stage. You had to play the top forty. You know that was a rule. We 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 broke it with the Jukes. We 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 changed New Jersey history with with Southside Johnny How? and Asbury Jukes. How by not playing the top forty. By, by finding a club that was going to close because the roof had caved in. And, uh, and, and we said, listen, we're not going to charge you anything. We'll just take the door, you take the bar, but we play whatever we want. And because they were going to close, they allowed that to happen. And then, you know, we, we just got, it was 50 people, then 100, then 200. And, you know, it was a residency every Sunday night. And then they fixed the roof, and, you know, and then they expanded the place. And we ended up with three nights a week, 1,000 people a night. But you know, that was a complete change in, in the New Jersey rules of, of a bar band. But as teenagers, man, it was just like complete freedom. You did whatever you wanted. You know, it's just what was the place that was collapsing, the facility? What was it called? Stone Pony. Stone it was Pony. Stone Pony. Still Because well, I know Stone, yeah. yeah it, it was Stone Pony was falling apart. Yeah, still there. <laughs> <laughs> you guys put the new roof on Stone Pony. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, it was, you know, it was a, it was a time when, when uh, you were making that transition to trying to become more professional, but um, uh, we didn't want to follow the professional rules, so we, we, we wanted to make up our own rules. My first introduction to a, a variety of music. When I go to college, which is the real melting pot, you, know, you really get your cultural chiropractic adjustment when you walk into college with a bunch of people from different regions, and there's all these guys from South Jersey and Philly, and they're all Asbury Jukes freaks. They're, I'm, I'm listening to, I didn't know who Boz Skaggs was, and I'm listening to, you know, uh, Boz Skaggs, Silk Degrees, all this stuff. Uh, Dan Fogelberg, I never had a whiff of. All this, <laughs> but these guys were like the Southside Johnny Asbury Dukes freaks. These were all South Jersey guys who just craved that music. And you wind up doing that for how long? How long are you in that band in the initial run? Well, something like 74, 75 probably uh, at the most two years but I, I stayed involved and produced the first three albums so I was involved right through 78 but by 70 end of 75 I think uh, Bruce decided to, uh, he was hanging out with us because his first two records didn't do anything and, and he couldn't work so he was hanging out with us and and um, and it was, he was about to put out his third album Born to Run and decided one last shot. He was going to try fronting the band for a minute uh, just to see if that made any difference because um, uh, he just was kind of, you know, on the edge of, you know, big trouble at that point. So he said, come on out and play guitar. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to front the band. So I got seven gigs booked. So I decided, you know, I'm going to do that. And I just wanted to get out of town, you know, because I was not only leading the band, uh, but I was also managing the band, the Jukes. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so... Um, you know, I went out with Bruce, uh, and uh, him fronting the band did make a big difference, actually. And and uh, we started to break through, and uh, I went for seven gigs and stayed seven years. But um, um, Jukes, I wasn't actually in the band that long, maybe two years or so. But when you say managing the band and producing records, did you find that managing for you, or did you find any kind of uh, managerial role, was it tough for you? Yeah. I or came to you naturally? Uh, you didn't? Uh, well, it did come to me naturally, but I didn't really like it. I don't, I don't enjoy business in general. I don't enjoy the whole negotiating process, so I tend to be just upfront about, look, this is what's needed here. 
if you don't want to do it, uh, you know, I'll go, I'll go elsewhere. I'm always willing to walk away. I don't feel like I need anybody that badly, you know, or any deal that badly. So that kind of gives you a bit of an edge right away. You know, I don't need anybody or anything. You know, and I know, and I and I communicate that, uh, or at least know. you pretend you don't need them very effectively. You're good at pretending you don't need. Yeah, it. that's a uh, yeah. You and I may have that in common. <laughs> I profess I don't need anyone or anything. You can all go fuck. It's the Irish goodbye. It's the Irish goodbye. Go fuck yourself, and I'm out of here. We don't even say goodbye. We just leave the party, get in an Uber. It's the Irish goodbye. Yes. And and uh, it's not exactly a completely uh, fraud, <laughs> because if you're a writer, you know, you tend to be um, pretty independent. Uh, you know, you can be. Uh, I mean, nobody's nobody's completely independent. Of course, we all need uh, we all need distribution of our work uh, one way or the other. But you can be quite independent if you're a writer first. You know, I'm a, I'm a writer producer first. You know. And so when it comes to performing, that's just like a vacation for me. Uh, that, you know, whether it's acting or whether it's uh, being a rock star on, on stage, you know, uh, that stuff is just nothing but fun for me. The real work is looking at a blank piece of paper and creating something from it, you know. Where's the first time you uh, met Springsteen? Where were you when you first laid eyes on him? The um, day before the Beatles played Ed Sullivan, there wasn't one band in America the day after. Everyone had a band in their garage. I mean, <laughs> literally everyone. It was the most, it was incredible cultural impact. And not just for musicians, by the way. I mean, after that, when kids were going out at night, you went and saw a band. You know, if you didn't go to the drive-in, you know, to the movies, yeah. you went and saw the a bowling. band. I mean, yeah. that that was it. That was what you did with your free time. I mean, so the Beatles created more than just a, a world, a new world for musicians. It was a it was a new social world for everybody. You know, a new culture. Really, it really was. I mean, that's no exaggeration. So you met him where? Well, you know, like I said, everybody had a band the next day, and mercifully, most of them stayed in the garage. But uh, <laughs> a, a, about a dozen of us got out there into the circuit, and he was one of them, and I was one of them. I had my band, The Source, and he had his band, The uh, Castiles. And we met each other on the circuit, which was made up of all of those places I said before, you know, VFW, right. VFW halls and and, the, and all of that. And we'd have band battles, you know, every month sure. or so. There'd be a band battle, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, on the weekends, I started going up to the village, going to the Café Juan on Saturday afternoons where there was bands one, one after the other. And they were all about a year ahead of us in New, in New Jersey. Because in those days, um, a lot happened very quickly. Uh, you know, the time was very different. The whole chronological time was a completely different animal than now. I mean, five years goes by now and nothing happens. You know, back then, every three, four, five months, something major was happening. Right. Uh, you know, so, so you'd go up and try and, you know, keep up and, and get ahead of what was happening. And so I'd go up and, and steal ideas and bring them back to my band in New Jersey, you know, which is why we were one of the best. And I started running into Bruce doing the same thing, you know. And it was only an hour on the bus, but uh, it was kind of an ad adventurous for, for, you know, for a 16-year-old kid to do at the time. So I ran into him at the Cafe Wa, which is still there, by the way. And uh, we became uh, closer, and, and because of that, and, and then I started coming up with him. I'd go, I'd go to his house in Freehold, and he'd play me some new, new songs, and we, I'd play him my favorite new records, and... And then we'd get on a bus and go up to, up to New York. So we, we became closer um, because of that. 
And did musical collaboration was inevitable, or did you talk about it right away? Was it attractive to you, or did that take some time? You know, did you think was, he fit into your musical plans and vice versa? You can meet somebody you love, but this is the, I don't see us working together. I don't know why. You know, I, I regret that we didn't uh, back then, but I, I, I was reminded of this uh, by one of the other members of the group, which we tracked down when I was writing the book. And he reminded me that I did come to the band and want Bruce, because uh, Bruce had, was having a little trouble with his band. He wasn't even the lead singer in his band, by the way. But uh, he was having a little trouble. You know, there was some bad vibes going on. So I went to my band and, and wanted him to join, wanted Bruce to be in our band. But it was pointed out to me that Bruce's mother didn't drive. So because the mothers were the ones taking turns, <laughs> I, I swear this is oh, true. I love this. This is gold. <laughs> because the mothers took turns driving us to the gigs. And because his mother didn't drive, he really couldn't be in the band. So uh, so we didn't actually collaborate. You got to get a license, Ma. <laughs> Ma, come on. <laughs> we, didn't, we wouldn't collaborate till a few years later, uh, you know, when we started having a, a different group every three, four or five months. You know, we just started experimenting. Like I said, we were, we, were, we were learning our identities and you'd go from one trend to the next. Every year there was a different trend. You know, British Invasion to folk rock, to psychedelic rock, to country rock, to blues rock, you know, to southern rock. You know, there was one one trend after the other, and you tend to go from one trend to the next as a as a learning, like you were going to school. You know, and you pick up a little bit from this, a little bit from that, and, you know, put it into your own identity as you built who you were going to be. And um, and then finally we... Uh, we ended up, uh, you know, he ended up getting, he, he got signed, and then I would join him on the, on the third album for the tour. Oh, you, you didn't record the album, you just toured the album? No, I visited those sessions just as a friend, you know, but then um, officially would join at that point, yeah. Actor and musician Stephen Van Zandt. If you love in-depth discussions about iconic TV shows, Listen to my conversation with the creator of The Wire, David Simon. A lot of people think The Wire came in the wake of The Sopranos, but when we wrote The Wire scripts for the first season, we hadn't seen The Sopranos. We were, we were writing in the absence of The Sopranos. We were writing in the shadow of Oz. Oz was the first time that HBO had ventured into this, hey, we'll put it on TV and you've never seen it before, on TV territory. So that was, when I saw the pilot of, of, of Oz, I went to Tom and said, you know, you can do a show about a drug corner. Hear the rest of my conversation with David Simon at heresthething.org. After the break, Stephen Van Zandt tells us about the moment he walked away from the music business. Mother's Day is coming, and Mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get Mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get Mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. 
So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. Tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Stephen Van Zandt's path from musician to actor was anything but straightforward. It began when he left the E Street Band after seven years. I actually left um, 82. I, I produced most of Born in the, in the USA. Uh, I then left, recorded two solo albums, and, and then he, they added uh, three more songs to what I had done and put out Born in the USA the same year as my second album, Voice of America. So technically, uh, 82, um, nobody noticed until 84. Uh, and then I was I took a little 18-year hiatus. Yeah, well, I, uh, I did five solo albums in the 80s, all very political, and, uh, and decided that would be my identity because in the Renaissance period that I grew up in, everybody had a very, very, very specific identity. 18 years. Mm -hmm. You're in a band and, and, and performing solo acts for the entire 18 years. And, and, and then you go back to with Bruce? No, 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 no. For the first seven years, uh, I start the Disciples of Soul, and, and I do my five solo albums in the 80s. Uh -huh. In 89, I walk away from music business completely. And I basically uh, go out into the wilderness uh, for seven years. I don't want to be overdramatic about it, but I was, you know, no, nobody wanted to sign me after the Sun City success. 
Uh, mm. It was a little bit too successful, and, and people started getting nervous about me. You're uh, a troublemaker. Yeah, and a successful one. You know, right. which was the worst an kind. Effective one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, an effective one, which, right. you know, nobody saw that coming, yeah. including me. Yeah. But um, so I, I kind of just drifted for seven years until David Chase called and said, uh, do you want to be in my new TV show? And when he contacted you to be in the show, you weren't back with Bruce yet? No. You weren't? No, no, no. So you start- was, <laughs> I'm looking for a new And I think it's interesting. And I, I don't say this. We were all kind of, uh, some of my producers kind of, I'm not going to say they gasped, but their eyes widened when I said, isn't it interesting that you work with Springsteen, who I have boundless admiration for? I mean, I I'm, I'm certainly love his music. And uh, But I said, isn't it interesting that you go on, on your own and you end up on a TV show where on any given Sunday you have a bigger audience in one night than he has the entire run of his Broadway show <laughs> times 10. You go on to become one of the stars of the most successful television shows in history. And that's kind of that's kind of weird. Did you see that coming at all? Did you have any idea that acting was... Because you say you kind of go off into the wilderness. You're on this hiatus. You're on this vision quest. Mm. And then you wind up... Uh, Chase calls you. Were you ready for that call? Were you thinking, I'll try that? No. Uh, you had no uh, idea? No. And I, and I had no interest in being an actor ever. I, I, I liked... Uh, obviously, I liked the art form. And I, and I, and I saw myself maybe writing someday and maybe even directing or producing but i never you know never sort of fantasized about being an actor um so so it was um it was a challenge you know when he called and it just so happened this particular genre you know this particular milieu uh, was something that was uh, <laughs> an interest of mine you know what i mean it was just one of not, i don't know if they call it a hobby or an interest but I had just read every mob book, uh, you know, and I had seen every mob movie, and and, uh, and I grew up around the guys, or maybe wannabes, which is what's the difference? They're equally scary, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. So I kind of just, I just kind of felt I could do this, you know. I, I kind of knew this kind of guy, and uh, and if I could, if I could create him from the outside in, uh, which is what I did, um, and I wrote a biography. Well, I want to talk him. about that. Yeah, you know, but so you know, I just, I just, um, it's just something I I just felt I could do. So you're famous for you wear a bandana, you have a bandana, you are a legendary bandana aficionado. Your sartorial legacy is highlighted by bandana wearing for many decades, and yet you turn up on a TV show where you have one of the richest heads of hair in human history. This character has a little a hair like the hood of a car, like the hood of a Buick. That's your hair, or did they put a piece on you? <laughs> well, the wonderful thing that turns out of wearing the bandana, you know, as often as I did, when you do have hair, you know, you really look quite different. And yeah. let me tell you something. That particular hairstyle, I got partially from you. Uh, one of your early movies... You had very close to that hairstyle, and, yeah. and I thought I thought that's that's exactly what he should look like. So I, I are you I actually, pulling my leg? You're I'm not. I, I'm not. Leg. I'm not. I, I forget which movie, but you, you know what I mean. You remember your hair was very similar to Silvio's at one point. I mean, it may have just been one movie. You know? I did. I did. I had a famous hairdresser 
who is who I think he retired from the business. His name was Louis Lacari. Louis Lacari was a, was a legend in New York, and he had a very unique voice. And I'm sure he won't mean, mind me making fun of him. And what, and I said to him, I said, I want it black, man. I said, dye my hair. I want it to be so fucking black. I want it to be like fucking ink. And finally, he turns to me one day. He dyed my hair, and he says, "Now, Alec." He says, if I dye your hair any darker, it's going to be purple on camera. It's going to look like an eggplant. I said, I don't fucking care. I'm going to make it look like an eggplant. And I would put so much shit in my hair to have that black, black Elvis hair. You know what I mean? But so, so is it your hair or they put a hair piece on you? No, 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 no. It's a piece. It's a piece. It's a piece. Yeah. That hair. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Yeah, so I, so my my I wrote a biography of the guy, and and uh, and, and he was uh, you know, it, well it came from a treatment that I had written about a guy who um, opened a, a Copacabana type of club, but in present day, and and you know uh, the five families all had their tables, and, and the commissioner, and you know the police and the mayor, it was kind of a Goomba Casablanca kind of a, a, a you know basically. <laughs> Uh, Not and, Rick's, and, and, but it's Rico's. Exactly, and, and it was Silvio's, and, and that's Silvio's. where the character came from. So, uh, you know, I, I had I had a bit of a backstory prepared because you know, I had you know I'd watch my wife do it. You know, she, my wife's a real actor. I mean, she she's been mm-hmm. going to classes for years and has a theater company, and she would go to class and, and tell me about the classes and you know, and some of the stuff I agreed with, you know, some of the theory, some of the, some I didn't necessarily, but in the end I just uh, had to come up with my own acting theory which I felt, you know, every human uh characteristic exists in all of us and uh the job, the craft is, is finding the uh, appropriate characteristics for that particular character in that particular moment. And that's how I looked at it and I felt if I could look in the mirror and see the guy, then I could be that guy. And uh, to this day, I have nothing but respect for actors such as yourself who can act looking like themselves. <laughs> I mean, I just find that incre- incredible, you know. And I'm always trying to access pieces where I can put, you know, as uh, what you know, Olivier called it, the putty on the nose acting. You know, what I mean, I wanna, I'm always trying to find roles I can play where I can get as far away from myself as I can. But what's interesting is that in acting, when you have the chance. There's acting that's very muted and you want to keep it as close to yourself as you can and do as little as possible and you're probably going to make an ass of yourself if you don't. And then there's acting where it's it's tight. It's three, four moves and maybe two or three beats where you're at that character for you, the hair, the scowl. There's three or four things that you pick up on that, that become the character in terms of his his cut, because all acting to me and all television and film projects are like music. It's like classical music. You have your part to play. You've got to fit in to this thing. The director, the writer has a vision for something he wants to do. And the worst thing you can do is step outside of what you're supposed to do. You, like you, you're looking at the director. This is my thing. And I'm going, what do you want me to do? Am I here to play the triangle? Am I playing the tuba? What am I playing? Am I the right. violin soloist or the piano? And with you, you take these three, four beats you put together, and you're like fucking Edward G. Robinson. You know what I mean? You're in that territory of a guy <laughs> who's created a character, and it's like that line. It's right, Mufti. It's right, Mufti. You know, <laughs> well, you just expect, he, but he's a wise, ca- you crafted the guy that was the wise mobster. The other guys are emotional, tough, <laughs> loud, crazy, and you're the one who, he needs you. When you watch The Sopranos, what you realize is of all those men, you're the one he needed most. That's my opinion. Well, it, it, it was a fascinating thing to analyze because, you know, when you're doing these things, 
you're not necessarily analyzing it. But right. when I went, when I go back to write a book, you know, you really got to analyze it. And uh, first of all, all the things you just said are true. And I had one additional challenge, which I needed to, in my mind, since I was never going to play music again, you know, I was done with that, you know. So now I'm embarking on a brand new career, which I thought would be the rest of my life. I wanted to make sure that I did everything a little bit different. You know, right. I didn't want anybody saying, wait a minute, I just saw him play in Cleveland last week. So in addition to all of those other little things, you know, the hair and, and the scowl and the walk, I mean, I practiced laughing. I practiced smiling. I practiced, you know, I, every, every single thing I could think of, I wanted to do different than, than I usually do. So there was that. And what was, I think, most interesting about the whole experience was, well, for, first of all, uh, David Chase uh, hired me to be Tony. Okay, I don't know if you know that. Yes. Um, all right, so, so, so HBO said, are you out of your fucking mind? Okay, we're about right. to invest all this money. The guy never acted before. And, um, <laughs> and he said, so he says, well, so what do you want to do? I said, well, I said, well, David, now that I think about it, because it's all been such a spontaneous sort of rush I said, I'm, I'm starting to feel guilty about taking an actor's job here. I mean, you know, these guys work their whole lives. I watched my wife go through it, you know. Uh, and I said, you know, so I'm just going to go back to where I belong, you know, uh, which is <laughs> unemployed. And he said, no, nah, I'll tell you what, then I'll, I'll, I'll write you in a part that doesn't exist. You know, I want you in, I want you in this. And that's when he said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I have this treatment, you know. I have this treatment of the Silvio Dante guy who was an independent hitman, and he has this club, and... Uh, and, and, you know, and David went away. Okay, let me, let me run it by HBO. He says, that's a good idea. Comes back, says, no, nah, we can't afford it. So uh, we're going to make it a strip club. And, right. uh, you know, and you'll run it for the family. So what happens, I think, is, I don't know if it's subliminal or what, but I think that's why a lot of second seasons are always better than the first season because the writers yes. start, to, they start to incorporate the characteristics yeah. of the actors. It gels into the parts, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? And now in this case, the most, the, to me, the most interesting thing is I'm the only guy that's not in the pilot, uh, I mean, uh, originally. So now he, he puts me into the pilot and puts me into the, into the show as a kind of uh, unclear, you know, okay, you, you're going to run the strip club for the family and, and we're, and we're going to have the meetings in the back room. You know, that's going to be the mm -hmm. clubhouse, whatever you call it, the office. But that was it, though. You know what I mean? That, it, there wasn't any kind of really clear definition yet. Okay? Now, here's what's interesting to me. Here's Mr. David Chase, the most detail-oriented guy on earth, okay? And he writes, uh, what, 12, 15 fascinating characters, terrific characters. Huh? He doesn't write in the underboss. He doesn't write in the consigliere, which is sometimes two different people, okay? <laughs> sometimes it's the same guy, sometimes it's two different people. He doesn't write into the script either one. Now, this is an extremely important part of, of any mob family, you know. Uh, you have an underboss, you have a consigliere. That, that's just, you know, there's no ex exception to that rule. He doesn't write them in. Okay, so by the end of the first season, you know, into the second season, you know, my character just gravitates into that role. <laughs> yeah. <It's a laughs> you vacuum. know what I mean? Which was very similar to the role I was playing with Bruce Springsteen in real life. You know? Interesting. It, it Interesting. was fascinating to me when you really look back and analyze it. I'm like, wow, how could he not have written in an underboss? You know? 
all those shows, I did a couple of arcs on Will and Grace, and I was madly in love with Megan Mullally. I just worship Megan. She's so talented. And they bring me on to play this kooky character that's in love with Megan. And I went back and watched online early episodes of the show. And you can see, like a lot of shows, uh, and, and ones that become very popular and very successful, they're all groping toward the character in season one. Right. By season two, season three, they're doing characters which are unrecognizable from the first four or five episodes. <laughs> they, they've migrated so far. So you go back to Bruce. You go back into the band, correct? Yeah. It was a tough decision because I just started, you know, after 18 years of unemployment, basically, I finally found a new job, which I was hoping to be, uh, you know, my first steady job of my life. Mm -hmm. That's what, unfortunately, I'm still looking for. So he decides to put the band back together right after the first season's filmed. Um, and just as it's being broadcast. So I said, you know, I just felt I needed some closure there. Uh, I'll, always, I'll always wonder about this move. But, but um, I said, eh, I, you know, I left under some bizarre circumstances. Which mm -hmm. I explain in the book. But, but uh, I really needed to um, have some closure there. And so... David Chase, uh, being the amazing guy he is, um, scheduled my scenes for days off of the tour. And believe it or not... And you uh, went back. I went back and did seven seasons in 10 years of Sopranos and another three seasons in four years of Lilyhammer. Lilyhammer. 14 years of steady acting and touring simultaneously. And I, I missed one month of one tour and one month of another tour. That's it. Stephen Van Zandt. Subscribe to Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a review. When we come back, Stephen Van Zandt tells us how he ended up playing the role of another gangster on the mean streets of Norway. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. 
you'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on do not disturb, tuning out all the constant just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Stephen Van Zandt parlayed his incredible success on The Sopranos into another show with a familiar concept but an unfamiliar setting. I, I was producing a record uh, for my record label in Norway. I signed a bunch of Norwegian bands, and uh, uh, there's a couple in the lobby to see you. Go down and say hello. Hello. Uh, you know, this is uh, uh, Anne Bjornstad and Isla Skodvin, and they were writers in Norway, and, in Oslo, and uh, they said, well, we wrote a TV show for you, you know. <laughs> Now, as you know, this is not something you hear every day. You know, you might hear it every day. I don't hear no. it every day, you know. Okay. Uh, so, you know, your ego says, oh, hello. Uh, what would that be? And, of course, the pitch was, you know, a guy goes into witness protection program and chooses Norway. Sammy the Bull goes to Oslo. Yeah, and I was like, oh, man, <laughs> I just played a gangster for 10 years. I can't do that, you know. I, I love just, the show, by the way. I just started. I thank you. It was I just, fun. I, I liked it a lot. In the end, I couldn't resist. I was like, who ever heard of going to a foreign country and starring in a local show? I'd never heard of that before, you know? Yeah. So we took a year to write it, which was very complicated. I didn't want it to be a straight-ahead comedy. I wanted it to be a dramedy. And uh, I said to them, I said, listen, if I'm making my living playing a gangster, I, I can't make fun of these guys. You understand? I live in New York. <laughs> you know. So any, right. humor, any, any humor has to come from circumstance. It has to come from character. You know, I don't want anybody trying to be funny. You know? And we decided how much English to use because it had to work for the Norwegian audience and the American audience. Right. You know? Very complicated. And anyway, so we're six weeks into filming. And I realized somebody, you know, the production people, not the writers, but the production heads, kind of uh, fraudulent about the budget. Because, you know, all of a sudden I see my, my makeup guy carrying a camera and, you know, I'm like, what, <laughs> you know, what, <laughs> what's going on here? And uh turns I out... see my we, driver painting a set. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like yeah. that. They're very, you know, do-it-yourself over there. And I realized, oh, my God, we can't afford to shoot the show that we wrote. I mean, I mean we spent yeah. a year writing it. So I told my agent, I said, the, the one guy I know, Chris Albrecht, who had just left uh, HBO uh, sure. to go to Stars, I said, book, I said, well, I got to make a deal. I got to make an American deal here. We can't afford to shoot the show. Yeah. I, I go to Chris. I, I had the guys create a, a, a trailer, which wasn't easy. We had only been filming six weeks. So we put together a trailer miraculously, and I showed it to Chris Albrecht. He loved it. He says, I want it. It's great. 
I, I said, he said, what do you need? I said, well, you know, the, the budget's over there. I said, they, they give me a reality show budget. It's like $850,000. Well, I'm competing with, you know, $4 million drama. You do know that I was on The Sopranos, right? I mean, <laughs> and I said, I said, I need at least a million dollars a show, you know. He says, I, I, I don't have it in a budget this year. I said, he said, I'll give you $2 million next year, you know. I said, this is going to be great. I said, Chris, I can't wait. I'm, I started filming. The thing, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of filming this fucking thing. Yeah, it's weird. So um, I said, okay, well, well, I said, let me see what I can do. And, and I leave there and, and I, I said to my agent, what, what's that across the street? Uh, this new thing called Netflix. All right, uh, I look it up and I see uh, Ted Sarandos' name and I call, you know. I said, uh, hi, uh, can I talk to Ted Sarandos, please? He gets right on the phone. Uh, I said, Ted, uh, Stevie Van Zandt, I hear you're looking for content. Is this true? He says, yeah, we're just starting. You got something? I said, yeah, I got something. He says, come on in. There's two people at Netflix at that time. Two. <laughs> I show him a trailer. Uh, he loves it. And uh, greatest business deal of my life. Uh, in, in one hour, I walked away with a two-year deal, which I'd never heard of. I, I, I think sure. to, this, to this day, it may be the only two-year deal. They're hard deal. to get these days. Yeah, you they're know. almost impossible now. Yeah. Even, even successful shows, right? They only go one year, you, you know. Because, yeah. you, know, you know, God forbid they take a chance. Well, this guy had right. balls, man. And I, I will respect this guy forever. I'm so glad of the success he's had. But we turned out to be the first show on Netflix. Fantastic. So I watched history happen twice. You know, HBO with uh, their extraordinary creativity becoming yeah. the go-to uh, place for adult content. And then Netflix turning it into an international concept. Are you developing any other TV now or no? I got five scripts, yeah, I'm uh, looking at. And I, and I want to I do something because... Uh, you know, we had another tour. We were going to tour this year, and then, uh, and then once again, we're not. So uh, I, I've got to go. I want to go back on TV. I really do. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I want to say, you know, you tell your story, and you talk about your nature that you doubt things, your purity, your honesty, your integrity, whatever. But all these things that guided you through your music career and then on into your acting career— they were responsible for your success, you know, to thine own self be true. You clinging to your beliefs made you who you are. When I think about your career, made you who you are as a musician and led to the amount of success you had as a musician. And as an actor, you know, you said you, you were like, I'm going to play this part the only way that I feel comfortable with, and the rest is history. So you, in the to thine own self be true department, it's really mm. paid off for you mm. big time, big time. So well, thank you. I, I, I don't know if you have any choice in these matters, to tell you the truth. You know, we all like to pretend we're in charge, you know, and uh, yeah. making all of these decisions. But I sometimes wonder about that. It was the right move, T. I get to say <laughs> that to you now. It was the right move, T. Your career choices, it was the right move, T. <laughs> Thanks, man. Good talking to you, my friend. Stephen Van Zandt. This is I Don't Want to Go Home from the album Soul Fire Live by Little Stephen and the Disciples of Soul. I'm Alec Baldwin. Here's The Thing is brought to you by iHeartRadio.
Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 